Welcome back. Thank you for joining us. Start your week off right with the MMA weekend recap. It's the boys. We're here to give you the good, good. Dominic. Hey, now. How are you feeling to start your week off? I'm feeling good, my friend. Another week in the books. We're now into the official spooky season. It's the month of October. There's a lot of UFC and MMA action in general, a lot of Bellator. We got PFL championships this month. It's going to be a fun month on the show, and I'm excited to start the first full week of October with you here in the studio, my friend. How are you? I'm good, but I have a question for you. Speaking of that it is October now, okay. um, are you much of a horror movie fan? I am a huge, spooky, scary, psychological thriller, anything spooky horror related i love scary movies all the way to the oldies to the newbies which you don't see as many good scary movies these days but there's still some diamonds in the rough you can find but yes long story okay. short well, i am simple yes will do okay but um okay. anyways <laughs> um tell me what some of your favorites are because we know on this podcast you're not you've not seen a lot of movies because you haven't seen the same lot um mm-hmm. You, I don't know if you've just sat in like in like a single room your whole life. You'd ever played Mortal Kombat, um, so tell the viewers what are some movies you actually have seen in that genre that you would recommend during this month. Oh, some of my favorite scary movies: the original Scream, classic, love that. Obviously, the original Halloween, Michael Myers. I'm big on the Conjuring series. I wasn't big on the third one, I will say, but the first two Conjurings are incredible. Mixed in with that Annabelle storyline. I like that. Um, those are definitely the ones at the top of my list now. I'm actually curious to hear yours because I know you're a big movie guy, but I can't remember your exact thoughts on horror movies now that I'm sitting here thinking. Well, to be honest, I don't like to be scared. <laughs> so... I don't really like horror movies that much. Like I am a big movie guy, but like, I don't like, I don't seek out movies that intend to like scare me. Like I just don't like that feeling. I don't, Fair point. I would rather not, but scream is probably my favorite. And that's mostly because it's not even a scare. It doesn't, that movie is not scary at all. It's, it's actually quite funny, but it's really good slasher movie, you know, um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, the con conjuring is really good. Um, I'm trying to think of some others that I really like. Well, the original nightmare on Elm streets, probably mm-hmm. in my opinion of the Halloween's Freddy Krueger, Jason Voorhees, that's like the best of all of them. Ooh, um, okay. Because that's a movie that does frighten me. I will say, because the idea of, you know, going to bed, like if you fall asleep, then he can't escape this this guy in your dreams and stuff. Yeah. And uh, that's a very frightening concept, but obviously it frightens me in a different way. It's like, wow, if that was true, because I know how much I like to sleep. Yeah. But also, um, you know, that it has no relevance on the, the real world. Some of the paranormal shit, that's what gets me. Yeah, pa- yeah. That paranormal shit, I still wonder. I'm like, I watch The Conjuring, I'm like, this actually happened. I'm like, something <laughs> like this happened. I'm like, this is fucking nuts. Um, but yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street, definitely a big one. And uh, yeah, I, you know, not, ooh, I'll tell you a, a childhood favorite of mine. Okay. The very first rated R movie my dad ever let me watch, Old Todd. 
he sat me down as a as a young first grader. I remember it was March uh, when I was in first grade because I was making the um, Dominic. You remember when we did this in school? We had to make leprechaun traps. Yes, I know where this yeah. is going now. <laughs> so I'm making leprechaun trap in my basement, and we went to Hollywood Video to rent a movie. The good old days. Yeah, back, you know, guys, I know probably most of you went to Blockbusters growing up if you're in our age group, but I was a Hollywood video kid. And I see this movie on the shelf, and I'm like, I want to watch that. And it's Child's Play 3. Oh, Lord. Not not the first one, not the second one, but the third one. Mm. I had heard all about this killer doll, Chucky, and his movies, and I wanted to watch it. So my dad, in his endless wisdom, decided that at that age was the appropriate time to show me and introduce me to Chucky, the killer doll. We had a good old time watching that. I made a killer-ass leprechaun trap. <laughs> watched the killer-ass movie. And, uh, yeah, that was it. See, when you, you were it. saying you were making the leprechaun traps, I thought you were going to say you watched the leprechaun movie. Yeah, I was like, that you, said, series. you said, I know where this is going. I'm like, I don't think you do, but I'm just going <laughs> like, to you, you say definitely it. don't, yeah. Do you remember uh, your first rated R movie? Yeah, I actually, I'm. if you're going on a little story, I'll give a fun story too. This is an interesting intro to the episode, but uh, Children of the Corn, the original, Ooh, way yeah. back. Yeah, that's a spooky, pretty messed up movie. And I mm. watched that as a youngster with my family because my whole family loves horror movies and scary movies, always have. And uh, so I watched that as a kid and I guess I go to school. Okay. The next day, I don't know if you know this or not. And my, uh, my teacher, I don't know if I was kindergarten or what it was at the time, but my teacher calls home and says, um, can you guys come in and kind of check something out? We were doing our drawings, you know, cause we were little youngsters just drawing on pieces of paper and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. And so little young Dom, after having seen Children of the Corn, had drawn some graphic scenes <laughs> with Crown on a paper, so much so that the teacher was worried and wanted to speak to my parents. And my parents love telling that story to this day to new people or retelling it to the same people over and over. So I figured here it is on the show to share with you all. I am shocked I've never heard that before. That's fantastic. (laughs) Your teacher literally thought you were a psychopath. Basically. Yep. That's what happened. Well, well, that was a very interesting (laughs) way to start this episode. I enjoyed that. Thank you for sharing, Dom. Yeah, of course. This is a safe space. So anything you share on here, I will not use against you ever. I promise. One big happy family here. Yeah, of course. Let's get into those fight announcements because they're pretty scary, too. Yeah. Not really. Not really. <laughs> we start the end of this month, UFC 267. Reminder, not going to be on pay-per-view. I yep. still don't know if it's going to be on ABC or if it's just going to air on ESPN+. Plus. Oh, ooh, Dom, you yeah, in the back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They confirmed it on the broadcast. It is ESPN this. Plus subscribers. Okay. But no additional that. fee, no pay-per-view. Yep. I must have missed that part of the broadcast. But... So ESPN Plus, but you yes. don't have to. You're not going to have to pay seventy bucks for the pay per view or whatever it yes. is. So that's nice to know. If you just have the five dollar a month subscription, that's why you guys need to subscribe right now. 
Yeah. If you're, if you're currently not, you'll be able to get the pay-per-view at the end of this month. Boom. Well, not the pay-per-view, the numbered event at the <laughs> yeah, end of the month, yeah. you know. But two title fights, and we talked about Dominic on Friday. <laughs> Islam Makachev, how he had lost his opponent, RDA. And we speculated a lot on whether he would be able to stay on the card. Um, we both kind of felt similar. Felt like if he wants to stay on the card and stay active, he can probably find an opponent. But at best, the opponent would be a lateral step to a Tiago Moises or a Drew Dober. Um, so maybe not someone to really push him into like a title fight, you know, Yeah, that he would probably want. So we kind of both were a little bit pessimistic on him staying on this card. However, literally right after we stopped recording. Yeah, Thursday, great timing. <laughs> yeah. Dan Hooker decides that he's going to stay, stay in town and yeah, um, or stick around, I guess. And he's going to step in to fight Islam Makachev. Now, first off, Shout out to Dan Hooker for doing that. That's awesome that he's stepping up like that. But let's be a little more critical of this move, Dominic. Is this a good move for Dan Hooker? I mean, it is and it isn't, I guess. But I'm kind of viewing it for Dan as like you don't really lose anything, even if you were to go out and lose this fight just because everyone knows how good islam is and even with dan and all the hype that came with him accepting this he's a savage it's a beast move um to stay in vegas to be away from home even longer gonna go straight to abu dhabi it's crazy but it's still islam magachev and at the end of the day after all the excitement and dust settles people are still gonna look at this and think well islam's just that damn good and it's not a very good stylistic matchup for dan who's such a great striker but the grappling of islam is so elite so um, I don't look at it as like an, necessarily a bad decision because if you are Hooker and he were to go out and win this and shock the world, that would be absolutely insane because no one really expects that to happen, um, especially to stop a hype train that is Islam. But if he were to lose, I mean, he just fought an unranked guy in Nazareth Hot Press. I feel like that had way much more to lose for him if he were to lose that one than this. So, you know, I like it. I respect it. And I can't say I'm not at least excited to see if he can pose a bit of a threat to Islam. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we might be overlooking Dan Hooker a little bit in this matchup. I get it. Islam Makachev looks fantastic. He's he's kind of continuing the, I guess, he's taking the baton from what Habib Nurmagomedov, I guess, had accomplished. But let's be quite frank about something here, Dominic. Islam Makachev has yet to build a resume that has earned that kind of credibility that we're giving him right now. Yeah. A lot of this is based on potential. It's based on how he's looked against lower opponents. And when I say lower opponents, I mean, Tiago Moises and Drew Dober are sub top 15 guys. You know, I'm big fans of Drew Dober, especially, but Tiago yeah. Moises is very good as well, but they're, they're, they're fighting for top 15 placement. They're not, guaranteed top 15 guys you know especially in this division so this is the fight in my opinion to kind of it's kind of a a gut check for islam makachev you're getting a short you're getting a short notice replace or replacement here in dan hooker but dan hooker showed a lot of advancement in his grappling in his last fight with nazareth i know i know he's not gonna try to i would assume he's not gonna try to use that 
in terms of offensively. He's not going to be necessarily looking to take Islam Makachev down. But if he if he was able to make that much advancement on that side, I'm wondering if his grappling defense has made a, lot, a big jump as well. And uh, that will be interesting to see because Islam Makachev is definitely going for that right away. Yeah, so. I think this is actually. I think for Islam Magachev, this is a big. This, this is a big fight for him. I mean, it's a big jump up in competition. It's one that I mean, you can tell it by the tone of your voice, by the way you're talking about it. Like Dan Hooker is going to be the underdog here. Oh yeah. But and I, I know that that's probably warranted, but also he's the one that's beat the guys. Islam Magachev hasn't really beat the kind of guys that Dan Hooker's beat. Yeah. He also hasn't beat a Dan Hooker yet. So. This is definitely going to be a, a fight for him to really prove that he is a, an elite caliber lightweight. And it's so weird how like people are ready to give this guy a title shot, but he has no ranked wins as of this moment. It's just right. So this is this is big for him, I would say. Oh yeah. Moving on, UFC two sixty nine happening at the end of the month or end of the year. Excuse me. <laughs> Raleigh and Paiva, the former. Flyweight contender and now number 15 ranked Bantamweight. Kind of coming out of nowhere and putting on a really good performance against Kyler Phillips, who that he did. we've all been excited about. Well, he gets his next matchup, and it's Sugar, Sean, O'Malley. Now, Dominic, you know, I'm just going to be quite upfront about this. The amount of people that I've seen online discussing Sean O'Malley and what his next fight might be, or once this got announced, what their thoughts on it were. I realized that uh, a lot of people just don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and these, this is this. I don't know if this is just that Sean O'Malley's kind of made that crossover to where he gets a lot of these fans that just you know more casual fans, right? But I saw a lot of takes, Dom. You can find them under the comments of these announced this fight announcement. Saying that like Raleigh and Paiva is a scrub, that he's like, oh. a, you know, acting like that he's like they're like who why like of course the UFC feeding him another bum and stuff like that and it's like guys, come on guys, what are we doing? Sean, Sean O'Malley should and probably will be the underdog in this fight, and this this comes off the heels of I believe Sean on his podcast was talking about you know why should I fight ranked fighters? Why should I take that step up? unless I'm getting paid like that, mm-hmm. you know, basically saying like, why wouldn't I just keep fighting these kind of guys, you know, Chris Moutinho's and Thomas Almeida's because that's what I'm being paid to do right now. It's like, yeah. unless until I get my next contract, he didn't see a reason to take that step up. He does it anyways, though. Number 15, Raleigh and Paiva. This is literally Sean's chance again to enter the top 15 of the Bantamweight division, but it's not going to be easy Tell the now, people why. Holly uh, and Paiva is just such a well-rounded guy with great grappling, great jujitsu. He's solid on the feet. Yes, O'Malley will have the advantage there, but he really has the advantage in striking with a lot of these guys in this division. Uh, when he does it inevitably, or maybe not so inevitably, we'll see how it goes on December 11th, crack into these rankings. But uh, this is crazy that Paiva's getting so – uh, so much disrespect thrown his way in terms of like, oh, who is this guy? Never heard of him. Well – you're going to hear about him because I don't think this is going to be a walk in the park for Sean O'Malley. I agree with you, Noah. I, I think 
the betting is going to be weird because there's so many people that love Sean. So even though he may Mm -hmm. go in as a favorite because of that, I look at it as like kind of an underdog here in terms of uh, it's a tough matchup for him and one that he can really be tested in a lot of different assets of his skill set to see if he's continuing to improve. Uh, And it is a great test for him to kind of try one more time to get into the rankings because he failed when he lost to Cheeto Vera. Uh, and that was a legitimate loss. There's always weird stuff about that one, but to me it was legit. So uh, I want to see how he does with this test here. And if he does finally crack into the ranks, I'll very much be interested to see what the UFC will begin to do with him now with a number next to his name in terms of his push, uh, whereas what they've been doing with him prior. So, Well, is it? am I looking too much into this matchup being made, Dominic, because – this just feels so different than every other opponent Sean O'Malley's been given. He's been given a lot of fighters who are stand-up fighters, but can't yeah. aren't Sean O'Malley type stand-up fighters. A lot of slow, right. plodding strikers. You know, not necessarily guys that move real well in the octagon. He's been given a lot of the same type of guys, and then here you're given a guy who's quite quite good in some of those areas that maybe Sean could get exposed in, you know, getting yeah. taken down uh, the jujitsu side of things. So am I looking too much into that? Or is that like, is this maybe a sign that the UFC is like really trying to test them here and, and see what they have for top 15 or maybe Sean has kind of been a bit more outspoken about pay and stuff recently. Is the UFC getting kind of tired of this and being like, here's, tougher opponent shut up yeah i don't think you're looking too much into it at all i think it is the ufc wanting to say all right we kind of we get it we get what sean o'malley's gonna bring but if we ever want this guy to become a champion and you'd have to imagine a certain part of the ufc does because of his kind of aura and star power that he has and would continue to have if he were to crack into rankings and beat some of these top guys especially in this division he's gonna have to be tested eventually so how long are we gonna wait and it looks like December 11th is going to be the final straw uh, of that date because I think this is a very tough matchup, as you said, man. I, 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 I don't think you're looking too much into it at all. I think it's very accurate. I appreciate it. January 15th. Another again, 2022. 2022. Two top flyweights go head-to-head. <laughs> Brandon Royval, Raw Dog is back, going up against Rogerio Bontaran. I love this fight. I really do. Great I think fight. the I think it's really good sense of matchmaking. You know, Roy Val coming off a tough loss. Um, actually, he's on back to back losses right now. To, yeah. to be frank, one to the champion, the current champ, and then um, he just lost to Alexandre Pantoja. So those are two top three flyweights. Probably good on him to you know step back a little bit, fight someone behind you. Number seven, Bonteron, who's not had the cleanest of um, runs in the UFC, but. A guy that when he when all the elements come together, you know, when the weight cut comes together, when um, it feels like mentally he's in a good place, he's a really dangerous fighter. So he might be the more polished of the two in here. But Roy yeah. Bell, I think, has the higher ceiling right now. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. And it is. Again, we show the flyweights love all the time. We love Raw Dog, but Bontran, not one to be slept on. And if he can get a win here against Roy Val, he can crack into the top five finally. So it's two guys that are fan-friendly. They're going to be very fast-paced, lots of volume, lots of output. 
Uh, even in the grappling exchanges, I think it could be re- very fun. We saw that with Roy Val and Pantoja during their first round of their fight. It was all grappling, and it was just nonstop. So sometimes that can be even more fun, and uh, I think it's going to be the same thing here with these two. It's a great matchup in terms of where they are and in terms of their fight styles in the cage. I love it. Let's talk about Zabit. Who? <laughs> Zabit. That's right. Oh, my. Yeah, that's a name you guys haven't heard in a while. Zabit Magomed Sharipov might be back. And I'm only saying might be because there's no fight announcement here. There's no um, you know, speculation on what card he might be coming back on. All we have to go off of is an Instagram post made by his coach, Coach Mark Henry. Uh, it's a picture, it's like a it's like a painting or a drawing, I guess, a drawing of Zabit and um put on there that I believe it said something about the best featherweight in the world is back or something like that. Oh, and um, yeah, so it sounds like, uh, according to that Instagram post, the beat Magomed Sharipov will be returning to the UFC following a long battle of complications with his respiratory issues. So, Dominic, are we finally about to see the beat return to the octagon? And I guess an even more important question is if he does come back, let's say early next year, whenever. How high of an opponent do you give a guy like that? A guy who was all the way up to number three before being removed from the rankings. Do you throw him right back into that top of the heap, or do you do you do you take a step back with Zabit and make sure that he can still compete with the top ten or so? Yeah, so uh, I love this. Obviously, if this is comes true, um, it would mean that mainly Zabit is healthy again, which is great. You, he went through a lot of serious complications as Noah alluded to so if this is true then he should be doing good right now uh and then it just adds a big wrench into this featherweight division that it really is beginning to pile up some top level competition we know the top three have been kind of jammed there for a while but if you look at the rest of the division it's very healthy right now it's a solid um stack of ranked fighters with a lot of potential a lot of different variables in terms of their fight styles and Zabit is just another one that you can plop in I think in terms of a return fight I, you still got to go top 10 with the guy I mean again if he left out when he was number three I know it's been a long time since he had competition uh, and was the last fight he had was that the cater one yep so, man that's so crazy but uh you look at that fight and he did begin to kind of struggle later on and Calvin began to come on strong so um, that's always been kind of a thing with him. But if the health impacted that and we just didn't know it, it'd be interesting to see how he would do now. But you definitely got to keep him in that top 10 area. There's plenty of guys here, the Barbosas, the Egays, Korean Zombie, Arnold Allen. There's a lot of fresh matchups that Zabit still hasn't fought, even though he was on, what, 6-0 and in the UFC or something like that. Mm-hmm. So this is very exciting times for the featherweight division at a time where, truthfully, not that they need it, but it does just make this division even more fun right now. Yeah, actually, I think one of the not fresh matchups is the one that he should come back to. I think he should come back and fight Calvin Cater in a five-round main event. Oh, wow. Um, Calvin Cater is stressed how much he wants that fight. Um, Obviously, their first encounter ended up being a three-round main event, which is very uncommon. And as you said, Zabit faded late in that fight. If he's really got these issues resolved, that's all it was, was that, you know, which I, I, I'm i not accusing the guy of anything. I'm just saying that, like, 
maybe his gas tank really just isn't that great and that these respiratory issues just kind of added on to it. Mm-hmm. So like now that this is fixed, five round main event with Calvin Cater, a very durable opponent. Let's see how much that's been fixed, you know? Yeah. Like I'm I'm ready to just I'm ready to keep testing this guy. And you know, it's an it's a familiar opponent, but unfamiliar territory. Five rounds, you know, that's that's gonna be new to Zabi. And Calvin Cater is gonna be very motivated in that fight. He'd be coming off of the loss to Max Holloway, which we know was a very one-sided beatdown. And haven't seen him since. I think he'd be looking to get back on track with the win, obviously, and be able to do that over a guy he had lost to previously in Zabit. I love that matchup. Personally. Oh, yeah, man. You can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's go ahead and get into some of the action from the weekend. Um, Dominic, off the top, we, you know, it, any weekend with MMA is better than a weekend without MMA. Right. But this weekend kind of tested that theory for me. Because <laughs> um we got a lot of sub we got a lot of subpar MMA this weekend of my best estimation. A lot of fights that just really disappointed. I think that's gonna be a, a theme for this episode. And it starts here with Bellator two sixty seven. Yep. And this was the second time we got to see this matchup. Michael Venom Page he does get the split decision win over Douglas Lima in the main event. Um, Dominic, a lot of controversy with this one. And I guess the the best way to start this conversation for us is how did you score the fight? Do you feel like Douglas Lima was robbed here? And do do because of how, I guess, close this fight was, do you do a trilogy next or does MVP need to – really move on to a title fighter or so here. Yeah, this fight definitely didn't live up. Um, both main events this weekend that we're going to discuss didn't live up. And, you know, after the first one between these two, which was pretty fun back and forth until it wasn't, you know, when Lima inevitably got the knockout finished, this one, both guys so gunshot. I think I saw it was like 25 to 17 and total strikes landed after the bout ended. I do just want to say, by the way, Bellator, you need to have five-round non-title fight main events. Um, yeah. that, I know it wouldn't have been great in this fight. That's not the best example because it was rather <laughs> boring. But I'm just saying, in terms of having more conclusive winners when there is a fight like this, five rounds helps out. That's all I'm saying. But uh, this fight, man, again, two guys that are usually, again, I talked about how they're, they're finishing prowess on Friday. Didn't see none of that here. Um, it was just very tit-for-tat, a chess match, if you will. But there was just hardly no output to judge on. So, I mean, if you have to pick a winner, I guess MVP, quote-unquote, had the better moments. But I don't even know if you can go that far of a stretch. I saw a lot of people online calling this a robbery that Lima should have won. I know you and I don't like to throw around the word robbery too much, especially in a fight like this where, yeah, Lima maybe should have won if you're looking at total strike numbers or whatever. But at the end of the day, neither guy did anything. So it's like, meh, just give yeah. somebody a victory, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, and like, what could be next for MVP? We were talking on Friday. Well, he's finally going to get a title shot if he can win this and the contender and you know, an elite mm-hmm. fighter. Mm, I don't know about that anymore. This fight just didn't live up. His performance didn't live up, especially in a time he really needed it to the most. Do you run the trilogy back? 
I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's hard to market a trilogy when your second fight was so poor, but at the end of the day, it is one apiece. Maybe in that third fight, you can kind of label it as like, oh, this can be the true number one contender fight, and maybe they'll fight a little harder. I don't know. I did not expect this at all, especially on Friday, too, when I said this is the biggest fight of the weekend for me. I was looking more forward to this one than Santos and Walker, and it just lays a dud. I, I, th- I do think I might have enjoyed it a little bit more than you just because there were a few knockdowns in the fight, and um, the it was just a lot of inactive periods to get there to those moments. Yeah. Um, I think the, the big debate you're going to see – I mean, maybe not. I mean, really, everybody's just kind of giving their opinions on who won. But I think the debate that these people are really having is do the knockdowns versus the top control. You know, Mm -hmm. Douglas Lima had large periods of top control, but being that he would get dropped in that round or um, would just get outstruck or whatever, at the end of the day, damage trumps all. So you can get that top control, and if that's the only thing to go off of at the end of the round, sure, that that would be a your round. But the the point of the top control is not to just lay there. Right. The point is to actually put damage on your opponent because that's literally how you score a round. It's damage. And here, neither guy really seemed willing to to do that. But MVP, at least, I would say, gave, I don't know he. He had his moments in the fight, you know. Obviously, he dropped Lima, I think, two or three times, and you could give him a title shot just because you know people will probably forget about this fight, yeah, um, if they haven't already. And he is a big name, so you can throw him right into a title fight. But I personally think you do need to run back the trilogy. Um, just, I think there's just too much controversy with this one that giving a guy like giving either one of these guys a title fight off of it, no matter who would have won. I just don't think it's going to be the best minute, best, I guess, move to come out of this. That's what you would have wanted going in, but unfortunately the fight doesn't quite live up. And I think you guys are going to, I think they're going to need to pivot and just try to get a trilogy done and see if someone can shine a little brighter in a third fight. Yeah. Can I get your thoughts on kind of how Bellator does their non-title fight main events? Are you kind of hit or miss? Do you care if it's five rounds or three rounds if there's not a title on the line? I'm just Oh, of course I'd rather it be five rounds. I mean, obviously maybe not the best fight to to preach that. But no, I mean, overall it just feels weird. You know, I kind of like I'm watching Davis and Romero. Yeah, and I kind of was like, "Yo, well, I'm like, oh, wait a minute, oh yeah, I guess it is only three <laughs> rounds. Like, I'm yeah. waiting for round four to start, and it doesn't come. So, yeah, I definitely, you know, Bellator tends to do more in their numbered events. They tend to have more of these non-title fight main events than like the UFC does. Yeah, so it sure. seems even even more of a reason for them to do that because, you know, so often the top of their cards are non-title fights and yet they're only three rounds. It just, I don't know. It just, it doesn't feel like we're building up to anything, you know, it just kind of, it's, it's, you know, the UFC used to do it too back about a decade ago. They had that same problem and uh, they've fixed it. I just think Bellator is a little behind on doing that. Just make it five rounds. You know, it's just better. I agree. Um, UFC. UFC Another Vegas. Well, Dominic, 
I'm going to let you go first because ultimately Tiago Santos does defeat Johnny Walker via unanimous decision. But let's be honest with ourselves here, Dominic. You were Mr. Defender of this main event. Yeah. And I just want to give you an opportunity here to give your thoughts on the fight as a whole. Um, be honest, you know, talk about if there's things you liked, there was things that you didn't like. Don't just go with the crowd, you know. If I yeah. jumped off a bridge, would you jump off with me? No. Or wait, maybe you would. I don't know. But that's maybe you're my ride or die. <laughs> um, so you know what to do. Go ahead. Okay. So I and I I did a um results and recap article about this card as well. So I got to articulate kind of my words on this fight on paper too, or not on paper, but you get what I'm saying in writing. Mm -hmm. So I'll kind of just kind of go through my thoughts here. This fight obviously coming in had a lot of high hopes because it's two guys that come in with reckless abandon. Usually Tiago, we didn't really see that in his last one, but I digress. We'll get into that too. I'm sure. But it's two guys that are heavy hitters, a lot of knockouts, a lot of power, um, different ranges of striking with Johnny doing all the crazy stuff. Tiago just has the long hooks and whatnot that come in, and his kicks are very good. So there was, there was just tons of excitement in this fight, obviously. And there was a lot riding on it because Santos was on a three-fight skid. He really needed to bounce back. Johnny, while coming off of a win, just wasn't really looked at the same as when he first came into the UFC. So a win over Tiago would have done a lot for him, catapulted him into the top five, yada, yada. Come out, though, in the fight, and they're both just, I don't know if they were so nervous of the other's power that it resulted in them being more gun-shy, but to me, it looked like both came out with a completely different game plan in general, and it wasn't necessarily the power of their opponent that resulted in this you know lack of exciting lack of excitement type fight because johnny looked like we've never seen before he has never came out and been so technical and patient and picked shots so much and waited and looked for them and tiago while he did fight much more patient against rakich I felt that was just because that's the way Rakich fights. He forces you in to his fight style. Um, and if you get sucked into that, that's what it's going to be drawn out for three, five rounds, whatever the case. So in this one, I thought, oh, Tiago's going to bounce back. It's a guy that can get hit. We've seen it. So he's going to bull rush Johnny. And he just didn't. He fought very patient as well. He sat back. He picked his shots. He landed more significant strikes throughout the bout. I actually scored it four to one for Tiago, um, but I, he ended up getting it 48, 47 times three. So three to two, either way um, there wasn't a ton of action to go off of, but in terms of what Noah was saying about the Bellator main event damage is what we're looking for. And while there weren't knockdowns in this fight, the shots that made me go, Ooh, or kind of make me think, Oh, here comes maybe a, um, a combination to follow came from Tiago more so in this one. His kicks were very powerful and strong when they landed. So at the end of the day, Tiago needed a win, and he got it. And that was at the um, discretion of the fans in a little, in a sense, because it wasn't as exciting as usual. But it's a guy that's a fan favorite, so you should want the guy to win, I guess, if you're a fan of his. I know it wasn't as fun, but he 
kind of gets back into the W column. He stays top five. And for Walker, it almost hurts him more, in my opinion, the, the lack of output that he had because, again, off of a win, yes, but he just isn't looked at the same. And especially now, after a year-long layoff to add on top of it, it just wasn't what you wanted to see from Johnny as well. And I don't know if we'll ever get to see Mr. Walker in that elite top five of the division. Uh, that was a very long-winded expression, but I was trying to articulate my thoughts as mm. much as possible. I appreciate it. I think you did a pretty good job at it. Um, I will say real quick before I give my thoughts, very funny looking back at our group text last night, you text right before the main event started. <laughs> and you said over under 45 seconds for this fight. Little did I know. <laughs> 25 quite, quite, quite the jinx. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Let me start at the top here. So, you know, the, the, the entire, I guess, dialogue for this fight going in, me and you had it. Most of the fan base had it was, this was going to be a quick fight and that that was, there was no question about it. You know, let's be honest. A lot of times when two power punchers get in there with one another, this kind of does happen. (laughs) Um, Anybody remember Derek Lewis, Francis Ngannou? You know, Ooh, I do. Um, yeah, uh, this. I I think uh, you know, Dominic. You're not gonna like hearing this, but this fight is in that territory for me. If I'm being it's, honest, it's damn near. Um, so let me let me start with the signs. I saw the signs, and they opened up my eyes. I saw the signs. Now, <laughs> I. Oh, man. Okay, I need to collect myself <laughs> here. So we, we've we had this assumption that Tiago Ti- Santos is the guy that will go in there and fuck you up real quickly, come right after you, and that Johnny Walker goes in with a lot of reckless abandon. Yep. Hence why the belief for me was that Tiago Santos get a quick knockout, um, just that Johnny hasn't had the best chin in the past, and Tiago has always been a pretty durable guy. But – um. This fight, what ended up happening, the signs have kind of been there for these two guys. Um, I actually disagree with uh, you saying that Johnny's never fought like this. His fight with Nikita Krylov was definitely like this. It was a guy trying to be more patient. But it's just so obvious that he is not comfortable being that kind of fighter. And I'm not saying that it's not better for him to be, but there there still needs to be more output. You know, and um, I know following that Nikita Krylov loss, he would have the win over Ryan Spann where he kind of returned to some of that. But you could tell a lot of that was because Ryan Spann brought the fight to Johnny Walker. Yeah. You know, it it wasn't a whole – it wasn't like, um, you know, if Tiago Santos was like a a bull as soon as the the fight started, I think he would have gotten a very different fight. Yeah. Um, But Tiago Santos – who we have seen be kind of that guy that is so aggressive and so powerful early and is able to get guys out of there quick. Jimmy Manawa fight, for example, he has been more of a counter puncher in his last few yeah. fights, um, especially like the Alexander Rakich fight, which is another dull performance. And this is going to be kind of my point here is um, I get what you're saying about, you know, I'm a Tiago Santos fan. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought he, I thought he should have been the light heavyweight champion. I thought he beat John Jones. Yeah. However, I, this win does nothing for him. It does nothing. 
nothing at all because unfortunately, and neither of these guys come out of this looking good. Sure, you get back in the win column, but he Tiago should probably be. I mean, like I know it's number ten, Johnny Walker, but after this performance, both these guys need to fight like outside the top fifteen. Like this is, mm. um, and I'm being dramatic and saying that it's just. Um, both these guys here, you know who the biggest winner of this fight was? It wasn't Tiago Santos, and obviously wasn't Johnny Walker. It was all the other contenders around them yeah, who sure. are looking to separate themselves. Yuri Prohaska is a winner. Alexander Rakic is a winner. And even Dominic Reyes comes out looking like a winner in this. I mean, after a fight like this, I'm sorry, but both these guys have a long way to go. Um, and improving that they're still in a, in elite territory, you yeah. know, and that, that might even hold more true for Tiago because this is back to back performances where, like, sure here he won compared to the loss to Rakic back in March, but they're similar performances that they cannot elicit any sort of confidence if you're the UFC and that this guy is anything more than like at this point might be just damaged goods. You know, right. He's a, he's a, he's an older guy. He had the very serious knee surgery where every CL in his yeah. knee had to be repaired coming off that loss to John Jones. Hasn't been the same guy since. That's just the reality right now. I'm not saying yeah. he can't be. I love the guy. I want him to be that guy, but he is not right now. And Johnny Walker, you know, this is Actually, can we be critical of John Kavanaugh for a second? Hey, I've um, seen a lot of it. You know, I've I'm seeing a lot of it. I I will agree, and I don't want to pile on and just piggyback off of what other people are saying. But it was painfully obvious in this fight that Johnny Walker needed to be have more of a sense of urgency, especially yep. round five, where at least for me, I had it two two going into round five. So mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, kick it into gear, you know. And John Kavanaugh just told him in the corner that you're doing great, uh, fight's going great. Like, really just reinforcing that what he was currently doing was enough to win the fight. Yeah. And, you know, I think it shows how coachable that a guy like Johnny Walker can be, how he really will will listen to his corner, and you can kind of mold him into the type of fighter you want him to be. But whatever this was on Saturday should not be the type of fighter Johnny Walker is. And Yep. John Cavanaugh, buddy. I mean, this is a string of some bad coaching from you in the corner. Let's not even get into the Conor McGregor stuff. So, right, it's it's not been a clean run for that guy. But yeah, this is just a very frustrating fight. Can we agree on that? Oh, frustrating indeed. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even going to matchmake here. Like, I have no interest. I didn't in want matchmaking. to either. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> like, go get out of my face. <laughs> That's how I feel about this fight. I'm just like, I, I just. You know, I I have such a bad taste left in my mouth because this is one of those fights, Dominic. I'm I'm very lucky that I didn't do this this time, but you get those fights, and you actually have ran into this with the Derek Lewis Francis Ngannou fight. Those fights that you want to tell your friends or family yeah. that don't watch MMA, you're like, oh, you need to watch this fight because you think it's going to be a fight that'll get them interested. Yeah. This was a fight like that, and. Uh, can I just make one last point on this? Dude, please. I want to keep going. If you listened on Friday or if you haven't, you can go back because I'm not lying. 
I, we talked about how this would be crazy while it lasted, and if it were to go 25 minutes, Noah said he would be concerned at the quality of fight we got. And look what happened when it went 25 minutes. Just yeah, and I, I actually, my, I'm going to continue here because I'm still, I'm still not done. Okay. <laughs> I think I'm ready for round two. Here. I re-sparked the match. Yeah. No, just my last, I guess, sticking point of this fight is, I saw a lot of people, and this is okay. This isn't a shot at any at anybody because I, I'm pretty sure this is how you worded it on our own Twitter account. I saw a lot of people calling it like a chess match, like a, you know, kind of that tit for tat, which definitely tit for tat, but in, in terms of a chess match, when I say I like a fight like Darren Till versus Steven Thompson, yeah, those are two, and, and very much in some ways, similar fights. Not very high output, you know, two guys just kind of doing a lot of fainting, a lot of, you know, in each other's face, but not throwing a lot. But I enjoyed that fight because those are two of the highest level strikers in the UFC, especially yeah. in that division. And I knew at any point you could get that kind of explosion because these. This is the difference, you know. You Santos and and um, Walker are very powerful. So when you're watching it and it gets into round four and round five. You might have that edge of your seat. You know, Dominic, this is right. how you were defending the fight. You're like, I'm still on the edge of my seat waiting for it. But the difference is they might have the power, but they are not near the level of strikers that they need to be to yeah. pull something like that off. They don't read their opponent's movements the way that, like, Thompson and Till were doing in that fight. That's right. why Till gets the knockdown in round four, round five, whichever it was. Because he's reading, they're reading each other's movements, and that's why it's a chess match. Because they're trying to just catch him slipping one time. Yep. While here, I saw two guys that just didn't want to trade with each other. They were scared of each other's power, and there was just a lack of um, willingness to really kind of get in the pocket. And that's why this fight was kind of dead on arrival, in, in all honesty. So, no offense to our Twitter account or to the other people that have worded this a chess match, but no, just not. Yeah. Co-main event. It doesn't get any better. <laughs> ah, shit. Um, Kevin Holland and Kyle Dawkins um, had what we thought was going to be a pretty fun fight. Unfortunately, it has to end in a no contest. Um, this, this is because of a headbutt that essentially knocked out Kevin Holland. Oh, and yeah. Therefore, and then immediately after led to, the Kyle Dawkins getting a submission win. So obviously this was the right call, and I'm very happy about that. But, I mean, Dominic, where do we go from here with these two? I mean, do you run it back, or do they go their separate ways? I mean, what do you do? I think it seems clear they're probably going to run it back. They kind of shook on it afterwards and talked about it. And, you know, for what it's worth, the three minutes and 40 seconds we got were pretty fun and fast paced. I mean, we got to see a, a couple takeaways on Holland's side where his wrestling defense, he was stuffing some takedowns when mm -hmm. he got down, he got right back up. Uh, and I knew Dawkins was going to press forward. He's, he has eight of his 10 wins by submission. And I knew he was going to want to come and grapple Holland and want to get the finish. And that's what he went for. Uh, and Holland shout out to him. You can see he has definitely worked on that aspect of his game which is good to see. Again, I talked about how he's still so young and still has such a high ceiling. 
Uh, he didn't really get to throw hands much with uh, Dawkins. Dawkins really pressured him and pressed him up against the fence most of that fight. Um, but it was there were a few takeaways at least uh, enough to say I have enough interest in seeing this fight ran back again. The headbutt is a freak thing, especially one like this. You don't see many where the opponent literally he gets knocked out cold. His eyes rolled in the back of his head, but he fell face first so hard that when his head hit the canvas. He woke right back up and then immediately started mm-hmm. defending himself, which is why Mergliata, he was going to step in and stop the fight, but then he couldn't because Holland was defending uh, and eventually gets locked into the submission. Dawkins wins. They review the footage. It gets taken away. There's a lot of kind of back and forth going around on Twitter about this as well and where they should have, in order for it to be no contest, maybe you stop it immediately when it happens rather than calling it a win, but then you go and review it and call it an after. I just think it's such a freak thing that we don't see much. It's not like these refs have all the experience to make the split-second decision to go in and like, oh, nope, no contest right now immediately. So, you know, I don't want to like throw around any slide. I thought the commission, along with Herb Dean, all the refs that were on the side, Mark Ratner was a part of it. I think they did as good of a job as you can in a situation like this that you don't see very much. And at the end of the day, two young studs wanting to battle for that top 15 position and move forward. Let's run it back as soon as they give the all clear. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think that's the complaint here. Is I don't think that's what it is. I think the complaint is that it appears obvious by the end when they were checking, since they went back and were looking at the replay um, that the referee requested, that that means that he knew that there was the head inadvertent headbutt in the fight. So the fight should have, he should have, the, the headbutt should have stopped the fight and given, um, because headbutts, they that, they stop fights for headbutts, don't they? That's a that's a thing, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, if there's one this bad, you would like to think so. Anyways, well, I mean, you get five minutes or whatever, right? It's just like getting a groin shot or, um, you know, getting poked in the eye, isn't that? Isn't that how it is? You, isn't that how it goes for headbutts? I'm trying to think of other headbutts. I mean, the one that's speaking in my mind immediately is Joseph Benavidez and Davison Figueredo, and nothing happened in that I, fight. Either. I guess a lot of them don't get caught maybe yeah um, yeah i think it's they're, such they're, a quick hard. thing but the fact that the referee immediately goes to the replay after tells me he was aware that there was a, the headbutt that kind of caused this which is why i'm kind of like why didn't you just stop it unless that's not a thing unless you don't get five minutes red butt, which should again not an not a legal maneuver so obviously there would be some sort of break in time to allow these guys to recover I just don't know if it was quite – I don't know if it was the right idea to let this continue on. I mean, I get it. Holland starts fighting back. But stop the fight if you think that – like Something I mean, the happened. Guy, the guy got knocked out cold. I mean, this – he essentially got knocked out and then got put to sleep with the choke all in about a minute. I mean, that's not good. You know, that's yeah. not a good refereeing job in my opinion. But I do think afterwards – very good procedure, you know, go to the replay. And and I don't know the rules. Maybe this would change my opinion, maybe, on if the replays, if you go to the replay, well, it, it doesn't make sense. Like, if, if you're the referee, the fight ends, and you immediately ask for the replay. That means you knew something was wrong. You had a suspicion that something yeah. had happened. Right. And the headbutt was clear as day. I mean, you look at the way Kevin Holland reacts to it. It's, yeah. If you're if you're the referee and you're right up on that, it's clear as day that that's what happened. So 
I just think that that was mishandled a little bit because you got to put the safety of Kevin Holland first, and I just don't think the referee did that here, truthfully. That's just – but I do understand it's not a very common occurrence. Um, why am I blinking on who the referee was? For it this was fight? big Dan Mergliata. Yeah, Dan Mergliata. Great referee. He's been doing it for so long. He's had a lot of really good calls in his career. This is just not a good one, in my opinion. I just think that that fight should have been stopped. Um, but I'm fine with this fight being run back, truthfully. It's it's a good – it looked like it was going to be a good fight. You know, Both yeah. these guys usually are in fun fights and will actually give a shit and yeah. you know, trade with one another. But uh, just a disappointing way to end because, you know, now this is going to halt them from really taking that next step in their careers. They're just going to have to stay stagnant for a little while longer. Exactly. Um, I don't know when they'll fight again because Kevin Holland did get fucking knocked out in this fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But a uh, disappointing way to end, but I think everybody handled it well after the fight. Fair enough. I mean, it's like I'm curious, oh. though, for you – well, no, you Back can. I mean, you, no, it's just it's just the last question. I mean, do you disagree with that uh, assessment of Dan Mergliata's uh, refereeing job there in the fight? I mean, I think it's obvious that if if he could have stopped the fight, and I don't, I just don't know if he knew what the fuck happened. Honestly, it was like the the weirdest thing is why he didn't stop it because he he literally went in to stopped the fight because he thought he just got KO'd. I don't know if he saw the headbutt or anything, but uh, I, I don't know what I would have done in that instance either, so it's hard for me to really say. Yeah, I guess I'm just like, I'm like, okay, if he if he asked for the replay after that, that... Well, he called for why they were still going. He looked over yeah. and said, roll the replay, why they're... Dawkins yeah. is getting ready to lock him in a submission. Yeah, I just... To me, I don't, I don't know. I just... But we we never get to see replays in the MMA. It's been a thing in the new rule set for such a long time. Yeah, uh, and I can't really recall a time it's been used other than last night that pops into my head. So it's just all so weird. Yeah. All right. Now let's get into the rest. Um, another fight that we expected to be a banger that probably was the best fight of the main card, truthfully. But that's like yeah. you know that's like the prettiest pig award. I mean, that's, yeah. Not going to be great. Uh, Nico Price does get a unanimous decision win over Alex Oliveira. You know, it was, a. I think, the third, like you said, the third round of this fight definitely being the best of the action. Mm -hmm. Um, Two guys that always are in fun fights. They're fan favorites, been around for a long time. And, you know, this wasn't one of their better performances, but still – you know, that might be the last we're going to see of Alex Oliveira. We'll see what kind of happens with his status since he is on a pretty, pretty deep losing streak at this point. But, um, you know, it's a win Nico Price needed to get back on track. And, um, yeah, I mean, I don't really have anything else to say but that. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> I was trying to think of something, but I don't really have much. Yeah. Alexander Hernandez. Wow. Gets the knockout of Mike Breeden. Minute 20 seconds of round number one. Dominic, you have despised Alexander Hernandez <laughs> for a long time. Is this one gonna get you on his on his on his uh on his fan page? Yeah, the poor fella going into that cowboy fight just notched a nerve in me that hadn't been hit in a while. Yeah, yeah he notched a nerve in everybody, I think. But yeah, including I, Cowboy. 
Yeah. But, um, you know, since then he has toned it back. And I think it was just because he was too, too much on his high horse. But last night he looked great, man. And, you know, Mike Breeden, he did take this on short notice. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But Hernandez looked great, landed a walk-off KO. Uh, it's a guy that's relatively fun to watch. I mean, his fight style, mm-hmm. he goes in, he has a fun pace. His fight with Moises was very back and forth. The way he disputed that loss pissed me off more, though. Because it was clear that Moises won that fight, but oh, anyway, God. you're getting see now you're getting all I know, you're remembering. I know. So you're like remembering shit. You're like, wait a minute, yes. he did do that. Yeah. So UFC Vegas 38 version of Alexander Hernandez, I liked. He looked mm-hmm. good in the fight. He was good in the post fight. He's wanting to uh, run it back with Santos, who was his originally scheduled opponent. So uh, hopefully we'll get him back in there before the end of the year. But yeah, I mean, he, it was a great performance, and that can't be taken away from him. The clear newcomer of the year for the 2021 joeys the front runner yeah casey o'neill gets the tko over antonina shevchenko four minutes 47 seconds of round number two dominic i saw a tweet last night that said casey o'neill is what the ufc wanted you to believe macy barber was and while i don't want to disrespect macy because i think she's great I do think there is going to be a question here that I'm going to ask you, Dominic. What is the UFC going to see what we all see? Because Casey O'Neill is not really getting the kind of promotion behind her that she probably should. I mean, let's be clear. She's got a very good fight style. She's finishing opponents. She's kind of, she's one of the, I mean, yes, she is still new to the promotion. Like this is again, newcomer of the year. So maybe it will happen in time, but with this win, top 15 is definitely next for her. Yes. And you know, I just I want I just want to see her really start to kind of get that hype machine behind her because I really believe that she can be just a very, very long term dangerous threat to this division. Well, and just the comparison real quick to Macy, because obviously I'm a big Macy fan too. I think it just goes to um Macy and the way that she built herself up. Casey O'Neill does not act the same way that Macy did. She she got a huge one on the Contender Series. She utilized her promotion on the mic every time she fought thereafter into the UFC. And uh, she got a lot of hate for it and a lot of love for it. But I think at the end of the day, that's why the UFC just chose to push her in a different way as what you're looking at Casey right now. Uh, but Casey's very humbled, well-spoken, very confident, but not cocky. Uh, and I love everything about Casey O'Neill. She obviously still has a ways to go in her striking to bring it up to par with her grappling, but her grappling is so good that that's going to keep her in every fight that she's in going forward. And she's only 23 years old, Noah. So to get a win like this over Antonina, who's been fighting MMA for years and years and years, uh, was said a lot. And not only that, but she faced adversity in the first round. I felt it was Antonina's round and then bounced back and looked incredible in round two on her way to a 10, eight round before the ref finally stopped it. I took way too long to stop that fight, in my opinion. But Casey looks so good. She goes for the ground and pound. She looks for submissions. She can really do it all. And at only 23, again, she has a lot of growth to still do, but she has such a high ceiling. Um, And, you know, maybe there's another Shevchenko sister on her radar a couple years from now that she can at least challenge because I don't see her going anywhere in the meantime. So Casey O'Neill, top 15 next. Undoubtedly, she has to be. And uh, I can't say enough about her. Truthfully, as Noah said, number one right now and newcomer of the year, and it's quite a big drop-off for number two. 
Agreed. Jamie Malarkey and Devontae Smith had a very hard-hitting fight. Where Malarkey does get the TKO, 2 minutes, 51 seconds, around number two. Malarkey, once again, um, really impresses here. And and not only impresses, but he kind of, what's the word, Mm -hmm. overperforms. He he is outdoing what his expectations are. You know, he previously had gotten a knockout of Kama Worthy in like, I thought it was like less than a minute. Yeah, um, cool. Worthy is a guy that I've enjoyed watching on his run. He started his run by beating Devontae Smith in this fight, and that was the fight where De- one of the biggest uh, underdog wins based on odds in UFC history, I'm pretty sure. So um, or I, I might be wrong on that. I know that sounds weird for that kind of matchup, but I swear yeah. that that was like one of the biggest underdog wins and odds, I guess, in the UFC history. Regardless, Jamie Malarkey outperformed there and then here with Devonte smith i'm i was ready to buy into Devonte smith here and be like you know what this guy does look really good and he has he coming off really the contender good. series but then jamie malarkey does it again you know Devonte smith i thought won the first round looked damn good doing it mm-hmm. and then malarkey comes back and gets a finish in the second you know it just nothing to say both guys come out looking pretty good but ultimately malarkey's the one that gets the win yeah, of course. And, you know, if you're Devontae Smith, I just got to say, Ohio, stand up. We got to stick together. Our Ohio mm. boys and girls, you don't see many of them in the UFC. Devontae, head up. Jamie Malarkey, I actually picked him to win as an underdog pick. He looked mm. amazing, came back. Can't wait to see what they both do next. Agreed. That's going to wrap it up for uh, today's edition of the MMA Weekend Recap. Give us your thoughts on these fights and any of the news we talked about, any of the fight announcements and we will feature it in an episode. But we'll be back on Friday with the uh, preview. Till then, Dominic, tell the people where they can find you on social media. Find me on Twitter, on Instagram, at dsley 14 More importantly, <laughs> go follow, go engage, go interact, and anything else you want to do with our podcast on Twitter, on Instagram, at B-A-J underscore MMA podcast. For me, Twitter, Instagram, at ntbaker underscore there's a link in my bios on there that'll lead you to a link tree provide you a list of links to all the platforms the podcast is on along with social media platforms so that includes but it's not limited to it kind of is the twitter the instagram the youtube channel and spotify google and Apple podcast it's all on there and there's a couple links for the anchor page shout out to today's sponsor anchor. shout out uh leaving a voice message just do, do it. it. Yep. And then uh, there's also a link on there if you want to become a supporter of the podcast that just provides us with a few dollars a month. All that money goes back into improving the quality of the podcast. That's it. We're out. And we're going to see y'all on Friday. Oops, I hit the wrong button. Okay, see you now. <laughs> <sighs>